0: How many of you know God wants us to be the real thing? He really does and 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 I pray today that you will receive something in your heart that will really challenge you to be more and more like Christ and become a Romans twelve kind of Christian in fact, turn to Romans chapter twelve we 're going to jump back in there as we 're turning I want to say how much I appreciate even though Josh is not here this morning. I appreciate how much uh, him, and I appreciate him and how much he shared with you last week and what a great help he is. And so uh, just tell him again, maybe send him an email or a text and tell him how much you appreciated his investment last Sunday from the Word of God uh, as we continue to talk about Romans chapter 12. Uh, and your homework has been in February, and it's going to bleed over into uh, March, uh, and that is just devour Romans chapter 12. As you know, this past week, I was in California, uh, flew into Sacramento, and then drove up into the mountains, I think about 4,000 feet in elevation. Uh, It wasn't snowing there, uh, but uh, we had a great time with some, about 50 young people and uh, a number of churches, and uh, without going into it, I couldn't believe they wanted me to come and share with them. But you know what? As I began to pray about what to say to them, I brought them uh, the first three message of uh, messages that I've shared with you, I tweaked it to sound a little more youthy. But we looked at the first three verses of Romans chapter twelve, and I just hammered home the, the need for them as young people to really tap into the word of God and realize that God wants them to be the real thing and to be able to, uh, as Romans chapter 12, verse one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. The first night, as we talked about total surrender, as if you'll remember a few weeks ago, you got a little white flag. They got one as well. Uh, And at the close of it, it was Valentine's night, if you will, if you remember, and they wrote on their flags, uh, uh, tonight on Valentine's night, 2014, I totally surrendered my heart to Jesus. And so it was a wonderful beginning. Then the next night, the next day, we talked about the verse two, where it says we are to, uh, uh, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And again, they just continued to absorb. And then the last night, we talked about uh, our identity and how we've got we to get over the insecurities of our life and and find our new identity in Him. And we had about, oh gosh, if there were 50 young people, there was probably 12 or 15 of them made real commitments to Christ on that final night. And so it was well worth the time, energy, and effort. And I appreciate you allowing me to go. I got a Facebook message from one of the pastors uh, that I wanted to read to you because that ministry from Romans 12 to those kids made a big difference in their lives. And uh, if I can read, it's kind of small. Uh, it's from Pastor Paul Schmidt. He said, Pastor Sam, thanks for last weekend and at camp. Uh, you did an awesome job. I felt good that he said that. Uh, he said, one of our youth... Uh, was in school this week and others in class were talking about life and the way to live. Uh, let me, and anyway, she piped up and told everyone they need to live their lives by Romans 12, 1 through 3. I thought that's pretty cool. Then the teacher piped up and quoted the scripture. And then the discussion started because a student brought it up, then the teacher could expound. The cool thing is uh, this youth had been trying to find herself, quote, unfortunately, She hasn't been making proper choices. She caught what God was saying through you. Thanks, Pastor Sam, for being obedient. Be blessed. Love you, Pastor Paul. So, amen. So this works for young people. It ought to work for y'all too, amen? And so I pray that you will just take a hold of what the Word of the Lord is saying this morning as we continue talking about the real thing, becoming a Romans 12 Christian. Here's where we've been. The first thing, as I kind of quickly alluded, we talked about true spirituality. The real thing is developed in the crucible of total surrender. Everyone say total surrender. Come on, everybody say total surrender. Not halfway, not mediocre, but total surrender. You see, surrender to Christ is not like the salad bar. You pick and choose what you want to surrender and what you want to take and not take. It's total surrender. And we realize it's not about what you give up, but about what you Gain. That's what surrender is all about. It's not about. Have you ever heard this? Well, if you come to Jesus, do you have to quit doing this, quit doing that, and, and you can't go here and you can't go there? It's not about what you give up. It's about what you gain, and what you gain is far beyond what this world that's trying to conform us to can offer us. And that brings us to the second thought about true spirituality becoming the real thing. It's developed by the daily renovation of our thoughts. If you miss these. Uh, Two messages, go online, go to our website, go to iTunes. You really need to catch this one about the renovation of our thoughts. How many of you know uh, our thoughts uh, precede our actions? They really do. And so Paul understood something. If we're going to be genuine, if we're going to be real, uh, we've got to get a grip on our thoughts. If we're going to be like Christ, he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now catch the last part of verse two, that you may prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? The only way to really experience the will of God is let him give you his thoughts. And his, how many of you know his ways are not our ways? His thoughts are not our thoughts. We need a new way of thinking in this world and deal with the stinking thinking. And so, uh, hey, and then the next thing we talked about, I talked about before Josh shared with you, true spirituality is developed by the discovery and development of our true identity. That's from verse three, where Paul the apostle said, we'd have a, an honest or a sound or a sober assessment of who we are. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And then I shared with you the reality that we shouldn't think more uh, uh, lowly of ourselves than we ought to think. We should think uh, a sound, have a sound sober understanding of our identity. And we realize that all the world is in the middle of an identity crisis. And the identity thief has come and stolen away our identity through sin. Jesus came to give us back our identity in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. Amen. And so then Josh came last Sunday and talked to, really about from, old verse uh, verse four down through verse eight, he talked about the motivational gifts. Uh, true spirituality is, is developed by the discovery and the development of our spiritual giftings. Look around you and say, everybody, ev- you have a spiritual gift to offer the body of Christ. It's really true. We've got to find the motivation of our, of our life, how God made us and began to operate in that. You see, uh, God didn't just save you to get you to heaven. He saved you. He's touched your life to use you in the family of God and use you in the world around you. Amen. And so that's where we've been. And we're going to jump on back in today. And today I'm going to talk with you about this next element of true spirituality, becoming the real thing. And here it is. True spirituality is discovered and developed by the daily connection and commitment to the family of faith. Somebody say the family of faith called the church. Jesus named us the church. True spirituality is developed by the daily connection and commitment to the family of faith. And that family of faith, as we know, is called (coughs) the ecclesia the Church, the called out ones. Romans chapter 12, if you're there, I want you to jump in with me in verse nine. Now we're going to memorize verse nine. We're going to come back to it, but I want you to memorize it. It's three easy thoughts. Uh, they're pretty challenging, but they're three easy thoughts. And here it is, verse nine, "Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Everybody say, "Let love be without hypocrisy. Everybody say, "Abhor what is evil." cling to what is good. Now let's put it all together. Here we go. Let love, pardon me, pardon me. I'm going to cough a little bit today. Everybody stick your hand toward me and say, bless him, Jesus. I hope I don't embarrass myself, but uh, I know you're praying for me. Everyone put it together. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. He goes on to say be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit serving the Lord rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing uh, steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. You know what he just described there in those few verses he described our interaction in the family of faith. He described that, that, uh, hey, we're not just here to be gifted, to use our motivational gift to minister to others, but then he kind of gives the motivation of our ministry when he jumps in verse 9, and he says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And then he begins to talk about how we interact with the family of faith. That's where we get this mindset, this thought today. In fact, let's go back up and read it together and read it out loud and read it proud with me here we go, everybody together. True spirituality is developed by the daily connection and commitment to the family of faith called the church. That's really true, not just because I'm the pastor and uh, that I'm trying to, you know, uh, push the church off and the the validity and the necessity of the family of faith off on you. It's because of what the Bible says. Jesus built his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We see what Paul's trying to say in Romans chapter 12. He says, Hey, you gotta, you, you, you've got to give yourself totally to the surrender of Jesus Christ in your life. You can't let the world conform you into its image. You've got to get an understanding of who you are in Him. And you've got to plug into the gifting of God for your life and be able to, and begin to minister to others as God would have you minister to them. But you've got to do it with the right motivation. You've got to love with a, without hypocrisy. And be able to touch and help. And even I love the last thought there that I read to you just a few moments ago. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Everyone say hospitality. Man, that's that's a connection and a commitment to the family of faith. It's a give and take. It's a relationship. Remember what our intro video has been saying. That the world is activity heavy but what? relationship-like. It's really true, and we're gonna talk about that today and how we can get connected and committed to the family of faith uh, this morning. And so I want you to memorize verse nine. We're gonna look at it some more. It says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, in this passage and in many other passages, but in this passage, Paul the Apostle uses two illustrations to describe the church you see them there. The first one is the body. That's where we get the connection. In fact, uh, how many of you know you thank God that your body's connected with what, you know, aren't you glad you don't have to round up your fingers and toes every day and try to get them plus. That's the way most pastors feel, you know, on Sunday morning. Where, where's all those fingers and toes? Where, where's the leg and the arm? You know, get them all together. You know, it's kind of like herding ants. You know, it's hard to get, hard to do herding cats. You know, that's the way we feel sometimes. Some of you, uh, you, you know, it's, the, that's the way with just getting your kids ready for school. It's, oh man. But hey, understand something about the family of faith. Paul called it the body. In fact, he used that, I think, in verse 4. Let me look here. He talked about that in reference to uh, our ministry to one another. He says, verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. understand something about the church that we're to be connected and committed to. It's the natural, organic way that God put together for us to work efficiently. Amen? It's called the body. And God's looking to us to understand that and realize that if we're gonna be real, if we're gonna be really what God wants us to be, we've gotta be connected and committed to the body of Christ and realize that as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I don't have time to validate this, but you go to 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about you know the the arm or the hand or the eye, they can't say to each other, I don't need you, brother. But how many of you know many times in the church that's the way we live our life? We maybe so, maybe not. Maybe I'll be connected. Maybe I won't. But the reality is your finger, any part of your body will not live or survive without a vital connection to the body. <coughs> Are you with me? Say amen. And so Paul used that <coughs> illustration of the body to help us understand the relationship we're to have with one another. We've got to be connected. Everyone say connected. Connected. In fact, one of the big dangers, here's, here's what I think one of the biggest dangers that all of us face. And it's the, it's the deception issue to be deceived to the point that we don't feel like we need to be connected to the family of faith in a vital, real, living way where we think we can just kind of hit and miss or maybe even not be connected at all. It's the it's a dangerous deception that the enemy has has released upon the earth and released through the church where where there's a kind of a caesarosaurus attitude about the church. But understand something, if you're going to be truly spiritual, you cannot be truly spiritual without being connected to the family of faith. Amen understand that to be true there's a lot of people who call themselves spiritual but they are not connected to the family of faith and committed to the family of faith for whatever reason may be they either got offended or they don't think it's for them or they think it's just not uh, applicable or uh, applicable to their life or not not necessary in this life we live hey let me just throw something out to you let me just turn over there quickly for you just for a moment Hebrews chapter and then we'll move on because I know you're I'm I'm preaching to the choir here, but just in case you 've got anybody you know who may need this, let me throw this out to you. Hebrews chapter ten I love this these two passages woo i 'm going to have to go back to verse nineteen. He's talking about being connected to Christ. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Everybody go, Whoa, Amen. What's he saying? Man, you got to stay connected. you got to draw near to God. we got to draw near to Jesus. Man, most people think, well, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. But look what the next verse says. You draw near to him, and you'll hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. And then let us consider one another. You see, your connection to Christ is no value unless you have connection to one another. Are you with me? It's the biological understanding of the body. And he goes on to say, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see that day approaching. I wonder why he put that warning in there. Because I believe it, as that day approaches, he's talking about the return of Jesus Christ or the end of planet Earth as we know it. Understand this, my friend. There is a deception in the world trying to keep us and get us to disconnect from the body of Christ. And when we disconnect from the body of Christ, the only thing that can happen is spiritual drain and a loss of life. Are you with me? Say Amen. So it's the body. The next one is the family. That's where we get the commitment. In fact, verse 1, he's he's addressing, and if you go back to uh, Romans chapter 12, he's addressing the church. He says the brethren. Everybody say the brethren. He's talking about the church. He's talking about you and me. In fact, in verse, oh gosh, uh, uh Verse 10, when he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, it's a family term. And so we know throughout the New Testament that the church is looked at as a family. Remember uh, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's the should be the picture, the, the way we love God and, and the way we love our family. How many of you know, fam, what does it say? Uh, blood is thicker than water. I'll never forget the Kirk brothers in high school. The Kirk brothers, Wayne and Paul. Wayne and Paul were toughians. Anybody ever had anybody in their class that were toughians. They were toughians. they were, you know. They kind of intimidating and, and one, Paul was in my class and Wayne was a couple of uh, uh, grades um, uh, older and in, in a different grade. I think he was in my brother's uh, class. But one day during lunch, we're all kind of hanging out in the gym And Wayne and Paul get in a fight. They're just wailing on each other. Brothers are wailing on each other. Well, we got nervous. Some of the guys got nervous. They're going to hurt each other. And so we started trying to break them up. And when they knew we were trying to break them up, they got defensive and both of them started wailing on everybody else. And I walked away from that going... Blood's thicker than water, whatever, man. They, they don't don't mess with us while we're fighting. We'll fight you. They started defending one another. Why? Because hey, no matter the issue, how many of you know there's a commit there's a family commitment here? And we see that through Scripture, that the family, we're committed to one another. And so this, this, this mindset that true spirituality is developed uh, by the daily connection and commitment to the family of faith called the church, we've got to get both of these things working in our life. We've got to realize, hey, we're biologically connected as the body, and we're connected because we're a family. Everybody say we're family. We're the brethren, and so uh, it's so important to understand that, and both are important. You see, there's body ministry that Paul talked about, that, that even uh, uh, Josh spoke on last week the motivational gifts. We have ministry responsibility to the body, but we also have family responsibility to the body. How I many of you know sometimes uh, family can help us in a way that the preacher can't? We pray for one another. In fact, that's what all that that I read to you a few moments ago. It talked about this. He talked about being kindly affectionate to one another. (coughs) Pardon me. Honor one another. Help one another. Prefer one another. Meet the needs of one another. That's what family is supposed to do. Are you with me? Say amen. Now I know what some of you are saying. Not my family, bless God. Well, that's part of the dysfunction of the world we're in, but I'm telling you, my family understands this family principle, and we ought to understand the family principle in the family of faith and realize if they're going to be the real thing, there's got to be a a development and an understanding. You see, here's the one, I couldn't always say this because I had to walk this out. In fact, I was meeting with someone here a while back and it was, uh, I was in the little room up in the front and my family primarily and all the grandkids were out in the, in the foyer wreaking havoc in a good way. And I told this person who was struggling in some areas of commitment and connection. I said, you hear that out there? You know what that is? That's mostly my family. Let me tell you something about my family. My daughters, I didn't have to call them and ask them to come. I didn't beg them to come. Their kids are naturally here. Uh, their, their kids are now growing. My kids grew up in church. Now my grandkids are growing up in church. They're here because they want to be. They realize the value of this because they're connected and because we're family. And this is what family does. And if you want to come to the latter years of your life and your kids be connected in a, in a, in a, in a very real way, you've got to understand the value of the local church your family amen and we need both we need the body ministry but we need the family ministry so here with all that in mind everybody say let's keep it real look to somebody said we got to keep it real keeping it real now go back to verse 9 this is the one you're going to have to memorize here the keeping it real verse 9 let love be without hypocrisy now this is a power-packed verse Let me break it down for you. It means that our love should be sincere, genuine, true, and without pretense. I like that, without pretense. Pretense is an attempt to make something that is not appear to be true. That's the way we're to love one another in a sincere way, in a genuine way, in a true way, without pretense, without uh, faking it, if you will. In fact, the word hypocrisy got its root in the early years of drama. And in the early years of drama, what did most actors wear? A mask. And this is where the word hypocrisy came from it means someone who's wearing a mask and so as it developed people who were not real people who were faking it people who were not sincere not genuine not true and were full of pretense they were considered considered hypocritical they got a mask on. This is not how they, uh, and so here comes Paul the apostle along and to the Romans and he says, hey, if you want, hey, if you're gonna keep it real, everybody say keeping it real. In the family of faith, you cannot be wearing a mask. You gotta be real. Everybody say take off your mask. Look, tell somebody, you better take off that mask. Here's what I've learned about all of us. You know something I've learned about all of us? Everyone in here, Bar none, we got a closet full of masks. Some of you just may wear one, but you got plenty to pick from. We got a mask because we don't want people to see the real me. God forbid that they should see the real me. And, and here comes Paul, the apostle. How many of you know, he, Paul, is a, he's a nosy pepper." You know what a nosy pepper is, don't you? How many of you don't know what a nosy pepper is? He's somebody who gets jalapeno business. <laughs> Paul's a nosy pepper. He comes along and he, he and he says, "Oh, you know, you got you got you can't let the world conform you. You gotta to have total surrender, and you gotta you gotta find out your gifting." But oh, let me just tell you, let me just get let me get jalapeno business. Take off your mask. If you're going to be real, you can't be wearing mask in the church. You got to love without a mask. You can't come into church faking it and trying to present being pretentious, present yourself in a way that is not really true. Some people wear a worship mask. They come into church, they've been fighting and fussing and cussing all the way to church. Come in church and go, hallelujah. I'm going to kill my kids after church. Glory to God, hallelujah, hallelujah. And all the while, something rumbling on the inside, it's a man. Some people, when they shake your hand and smile, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, brother. <laughs> Just like a politician. How many of you, when a politician shakes your hand and smiles, something you says, that's not real. That can't be real. He's wearing a mask. How many of you know that's really probably true? Most of us, in some way, tend towards wearing a mask so people won't see who the real we are. And if we're going to be real, we got to love the way Jesus taught us to love. In fact, did you know the, the, the sign of genuine Christianity according to Jesus? You know what the sign is? In and, and John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, one of the last, some of the last things he said to his disciples about loving one another. He said, by this will everybody know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have genuine love for one another, a love that goes beyond the mask... One that really cares and is kindly affectionate to one another, in honoring of one another, giving preference to one another, helping one another, serving one another, given to hospitality. You know, most people are not given to hospitality. They're waiting for somebody to be hospitable to them. How many of you know if you want to receive it, you got to sew it? And so we've got to take off the mask. Now, why do people wear masks? We'll talk about that in a second, but let me just tell you, I know why most people don't take them off. How many of you know there's a risk in taking off your mask? Ooh, there's risk. It's the risk. Number one, it's the risk of being real. If I if I show who I really am, what are they going to do? It's up there on the screen. You don't have to guess. What are they going to do? If I show who I really am, they may actually do what? Reject me. And nobody wants to be rejected, right? Everybody wants to be accepted. So we have this mindset that if we're going to be accepted in the church, we got to put on a mask. Because if people heard and and saw the real me, they'd go, oh my goodness. How many of you know, they got one on too, right? Right? In fact, here's the cool thing about rejection. The Bible says Jesus was rejected, a man of sorrow. Jesus was rejected so you could be accepted. In fact, Ephesians chapter one, verse three, he said, Jesus makes us accepted among the beloved. And in reality, one of the ways you really become rejected is if you're always wearing a mask and you never get real. If you're hanging around two or three people that have started taking off their mask and you won't take off your mask, they don't wanna be around you. Because you're not, you're not real. They're going, hello, who are you in there? Hi, how are you? People don't want to take off their masks because the risk of being real might get us rejected. But understand, there's a greater risk of not being real. Did you know the risk of not being real? Anybody want to know the risk of not being real? It is this. It is destruction. Let me tell you a story in Acts chapter 5. Anybody remember Ananias and Sapphira? church was getting going. People were excited. People were giving. Man, church was happening. People were liberal. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now, there's nothing wrong with selling a piece of property and giving a portion or all of it to the church. But you know Ananias and Sapphira did. Uh, Ananias came and he lied to the Holy Spirit. He had a mask on. And he came before Peter and he said, here, we've sold this piece of property and we've given everything, to, we're bringing everything to the church when in reality, he kept back some for himself. How many of you know, that's not a problem to, to not give it all to the church, but it's a misrepresentation of who he wore a mask. He was not real. He misrepresented himself to the church. And you know what God did? Everybody say, you know what God did? God got angry enough at him and his mask that he let him go to heaven. That means he died. Boom. Right there in church. In fact, it was a declaration over. I mean, he just, listen, the risk of not being real is destruction. Well, in comes Sapphira, his wife, And she doesn't know what just happened to Ananias. And so Peter gives her a chance to be real and not not have the mask on. Well, you know, and she says the same thing. And he says, you know what? The same guys that carried your husband out here for wearing his mask and lying to the Holy Ghost are going to carry you out. Boom, down she goes. Well, if I did that in church, we'd be in a pickle, wouldn't we? Everybody with masks going to be running out. No, no. But understand something about the, 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 if you keep on the mask, it will end up harming you. There's destruction. So everybody say, we got to take off the mask. Now, I know why we don't. Why the mask? By nature, we are all, as we learn, insecure. Not me. And we talked about this a couple of Sundays ago. If you remember, if you're high-minded or low-minded, you remember that? If you're high-minded, why, why are you high-minded? It's because you're insecure and you're covering for insecure, you're covering for your insecurities. If you're low-minded, you're not covering for it, but you're just insecure. Everybody look around and say, we're all by nature insecure. We're insecure. And so because of our nature of being insecure, uh, we put on a mask so people won't see the real, they won't see the insecurities. But understand, when you let your insecurities uh, uh, overwhelm you and cause you to put on a mask, the result and the reason for that, uh, it's just because you don't understand your new identity. Your new identity is not who you were. Your new identity is found and wrapped up in Christ. Somebody say in Christ. And so he's made us accepted in Christ. All we gotta do is find our new place and our new identity in him. I'm fixed in him. I'm not fixed in my past. I'm not fixed in in what somebody said I should or shouldn't be I'm fixed in Christ I've got a new identity in him and therefore all the insecurity is washed out of my system and I don't have to wear a mask anymore somebody say amen but that's why people wear the mask because they're insecure about who they are so they try to portray themselves as somebody who they're not and here's the funny thing about that Think about those actors back in the day when, when this word hypocritical came to play. How many of you know when they walked out with the mask, <laughs> this isn't rocket science, everybody knew. Think about it. They walked out with a mask. People weren't going, man, you've changed a little. No, it's just a mask. It's obvious. How many of you know when we put on a mask to cover our insecurities to everybody else, it is what? It's obvious. It's just obvious. This guy's wearing a mask. He's not real. They're not real. So because of our insecurities. But number two, and here's where we're going to get and really spend a few moments. It's not just why do we wear the mask because we're insecure. We wear masks because of impurities. And the reason we got these issues is because we have a lack of knowledge of our new sanctity. Everyone say sanctity. That word sanctity basically means this. It means the state of or quality of being holy. Let me go over to first Corinthians chapter six for just a second and show you what has been given to us because of our new identity in Christ. First Corinthians chapter one, pardon me, chapter six, verse one says this, uh, Oh, uh, Maybe it's 2 Corinthians, pardon me. Let me go back here and look. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 one, I got the wrong ones. Maybe it's 2 Corinthians 6 one. If it's not, then we'll edit this part out of the tape and you'll go on. But it talks about being sanctified. Um, that neither I wrote it down wrong. How many of you know, we are washed. Here's what it says, we are washed. We are sanctified. Somebody say sanctified. We're sanctified. We are declared holy. And then it says by the power of the Holy Spirit. you got to look up where that verse is because that one's not it. But hey, the Holy Spirit's work in us sanctifies us, declares us holy, not by our works, but we don't understand that. So therefore, we walk around with impurities in our life. And because we have impurities in our life and sins in our life, therefore, we wear a mask so people don't see the real us. Now, remember what Romans said. Romans 12, he said, abhor what is evil. Everybody say abhor. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. He said that right after he said, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without a mask. How are you gonna do that? You gotta deal with the impurities of your life and abhor what is evil. Now, he's not just talking about the devil here. I used to think he was just hitting some hit and miss, but listen, he's talking about us. You see, the impurities in our life keep us from being real, cause us to wear a mask, and we gotta come to the place where we abhor that and regard it with disgust. Everybody go, whoo. And the only way I can describe this, the word abhor, it is one serious word. It is a word that caused you to be disgusted to the point of being, having an upset stomach. It just makes you sick. In fact, I may have told you this, I may have not, but, uh, one day at our, our lake house, I rented out these guys, fishermen, they clean fish and they stuck it in the middle of the summer, all the fish guts in the, the green dumpster. And the, and the guy doesn't come for five days. And by the time I got there, you could smell, you, there was an abhorrent smell a hundred yards out from the house of putrid, rotting fish guts. Needless to say, I was a little frustrated. But it took me an hour, OMG, and I abhorred it. Remember when everybody's refrigerators went out in the hurricane? You came home with, oh, Jesus, we'll just keep that shut. You abhorred it, right? All that you thought was great is now abhorrent. And if we're going to take off the mask, we've got to realize, hey, we've got to deal with the insecurities. We've got to deal with the impurities. And we've got to start, in fact, the word of to regard with disgust. The Bible talks about being disgusted and hating sin. Psalm 97.10 says, you who love the Lord hate evil. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So if we're going to take off the mask, we got to deal with these impurities of our life and realize, hey, God gives us the grace to walk a sanctified life. We have the capacity to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And if anybody's found 1 Corinthians 6 or whatever, did you find the verse? Uh, It's what? 6.11. I missed a one. That's an honest mistake. At least I'm not dyslexic. Uh, Read it real loud, uh, Ryan. Just stand up and read it real loud. Come on, help me. uh, 1 Corinthians 6.11. I've got to redeem myself. Man, I'm telling you, everybody say I'm justified. Everybody say I'm sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on now. Hey, hey, that, you know, in other words, Jesus took care of our insecurity issue, and Jesus took care, carry, He took care of our impurity issue. So therefore, there's no reason for a mask. Did you know you're not the only sinner on planet Earth? Did you know you're not the only person to have ever had a bad thought? Did you know we all by nature, natural born sinners. Nobody had to teach you how to hit your sister. It just came natural, right? Amen, are you with me? And so we gotta understand, these things that try to put our mask on keep us from connecting and committing to the family of faith. Look at your neighbor and say, take off your mask. (laughs) And then he says, cling to what is good. Now, this word cling, it's like glue. Now, put it all together. Let love be without hypocrisy. Everybody say, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, no mask are allowed in church. Abhor what is evil. <clears throat> Why? Because it separates me from God and his church. It's keeping me disconnected from God and his church and uncommitted. I gotta get this out of, I gotta deal with this. I realize, hey, he took care of it on Calvary's cross. And then the third element of this, I'm gonna stick like glue to that which is good. In fact, understand something about this sincere love, this unhypocritical love. It's the glue, it's the tie that binds. That's what keeps us together. It's real love for one another. And in my mind, when he said cling to what is good, he wasn't just talking about any old thing. The context is the family of faith. I'm sticking like glue. I'm not letting the devil, the flesh, disconnect me and uncommit me. I'm sticking. I, I'm going to be real. I'm going to connect and commit to the family of faith. I'm clinging to that which is good. I'm sticking like glue to the family of faith. To God's god's family that he's placed me in let me give you the big idea let me put it all in one sentence and this is what i want to leave you with today you can take a picture of it it's a little long digest it later i probably could have worked a little harder to make this all a little easier to say but let's read it together true spirituality by its very nature requires us to take off our mask and deal with whatever insecurities and impurities we have and connect and commit to the family of faith with the glue of a sincere, unhypocritical love for God and others. Let's read it again. True spirituality, by its very nature, requires us to take off our mask and deal with whatever insecurities and impurities we have and connect and commit to the family of faith with the glue of a sincere, unhypocritical love for God and others. Even though that's a little long, I think it says it well. If we're going to be real, we can't be fake. If we're going to say we love God but don't love our brothers, what does the Bible say? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You can't say, I love God, but don't love your brother and expect that to to fly with God. He said, it just doesn't work. That's the big idea today. If I'm going to be truly spiritual, I cannot be truly spiritual without being connected and committed to the family of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the word of the Lord. Let our love be without hypocrisy today. And Lord, I know we all, on some level, I know I do. I wear masks. Sometimes it's the pastor mask, sometimes it's the preacher mask to cover up for the real me. And Lord, today I ask you to forgive me for wearing masks. To deceive my brethren about who I really am. Forgive me, Lord. Let my love for the body of Christ, for you and one another, be without hypocrisy. Teach me, Lord, to abhor whatever it is that would keep me disconnected and uncommitted to my brothers and sisters. And Lord, help us to cling to what is good. Cling to one another and to the relationship we have as the body of Christ and the family of faith. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you your own little altar moment. You can have your own little altar moment right here where you sit. Just spend a few moments with the Lord. Just say, Lord, help me take off my mask. Let me be real. Not fake or pretentious. I'm taking it off. I'm not going to let my insecurities or my impurities... Allow me, uh, manipulate me to live a life that's not real. I confess my sin to you, and I ask you, Lord Jesus, to cleanse me. Help me be sincere. Jesus name Amen. You know, the Bible teaches the necessity of us not only to confess our faults to God, but in some cases. When we're praying, we got to confess our weaknesses to one another. We always like James chapter 5, verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be con- be forgiven. We like that. And then verse 16, con- confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed for the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much you know what James just said there he said get get in front of a confidant find somebody a brother sister of faith and take off your mask Pray for one another. You see, because see, understand something. When you take off your mask, then that, you know what that brother will do? Oh, well, I'll take off my mask. Why don't we just pray for one another? That we may be healed. For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much when I dealt with these young people last weekend there was no real emotion there was not uh, you know just as I am and weeping they falling on their faces but they came to some realization this is just the smartest thing I could ever do to let Jesus deal with the insecurities of my life and the impurities of my life this just makes sense I want to take off my mask. And I think that's the way it is here this morning that we, as, as we come to the close of this service, we just say, this just makes sense. I can't be hypocritical in my relationships in the church. Everybody knows. It's obvious. Let's stand together. Father today I thank you for the word of the Lord I pray it would set up Residence in our hearts It we would leave this place Challenged by the word of the Lord To love without hypocrisy To abhor what is evil And cling to what is good And realize the great Value of the goodness of God in the local Church And the abhorrence of anything that would keep Us disconnected and uncommitted So, Lord, we choose not to be hypocritical and insincere and wear masks. Lord, we're going to take them off and learn to be real with you and one another. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, hallelujah. Well, I love you this morning. I want to share with you one quick thing. I got about a couple of minutes. I'm on grace time now. I had a guy at camp give me a word And I won't go into the word But he talked about our church Becoming in a, a relationally evangelistic church And it rang true in my spirit Meaning that the reality is Most people are born again Or connect to a church Not because of the sign in the front But because of the connection of a friend Or a family member Right? Am I right? I know I'm right in fact, I, th- I look at the West back here. Uh, they're here because years and years ago, somebody invited them to vacation Bible school. It's because of relationship connection. And we got some people who are just bold and brave like Andrew. He just walked in the door, didn't know a soul. He's, he's, he's a unique individual. But here's what I, as I was praying over that this weekend, I, here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. Just tell your people, That if they would realize it, most of them are about 75% already through the relationally evangelistic moment with their friends. Now think about this. You have friends and connections already. It's already been divinely set up. And I want you to begin to realize that, that your friends that you have that are not necessarily Christian or may not necessarily go to church, just unchurched, it doesn't mean they don't love Jesus, but they're unchurched. Listen, that's not just by happenstance. It's it's a divine setup. And you're already about two-thirds of the way through this relational uh, moment with them to get them to a place where they need to be, not just in church, but connected and committed to the family of faith. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to begin to ponder that and meditate on that and say, God, who are these people around me that I've already two-thirds of the way through the process of being an influence in their life and I didn't even know it. You, it's a divine setup. And now I'm gonna just begin to walk through those doors and trust you and begin to be used by you to make a difference in someone else's life. Not just for them to 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 just uh, you know try to get the monkey off their back, but to get them plugged in to the family of faith loving Jesus and loving one another and becoming a productive member of the kingdom of God for his glory and his honor. Amen. Well, God bless you today. I want you to meditate on these things. Wednesday night, we'll be here with our growth groups. I want to thank our growth group leaders. It's been great. We continue talking about becoming a true uh, uh, spiritual Christian. And so that's this Wednesday night, youth ministry, children's ministry, a lot of great things going on. Hey, love somebody. Hey, before you leave, practice a little unhypocritical, sincere love for one another. Amen. In fact, I dismiss you right now to love somebody unhypocritically. Amen. We'll see you Wednesday night. Amen.